Good jobs, quality jobs. We still have so much to do for women's rights. For the parents to go to work, you need good childcare. We will not have a successful recovery if we leave social rights. Reinventing our way of building and living. It is our right. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Eurofan Talks. In today's podcast, we're going to look at the core of what it's all about. What does it mean for Europeans across 27 countries, young and old, urban, rural, rich, poor? What are the critical challenges facing us all today? What is the future of living and working in Europe? And joining me this morning to delve into the details of this and to do a spot of crystal ball gazing is our relatively new uh, executive director, Ivailo Kalfin. Ivailo is a former deputy prime minister and minister of Bulgaria. He's also a one-term member of the European Parliament. So clearly he can offer us a very wide-ranging perspective on what it does mean to live and work in Europe. Good morning, Ivailo. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, welcome. Ivailo, we are speaking at a very difficult time. It's nearly two years since COVID-19 took hold in Europe. We've seen progress, but unfortunately we're seeing a deterioration again. And it's impacting on all our lives in so many different ways, economically, socially, psychologically. We've seen so many changes. I think young people today could be forgiven for thinking that we as the older generation have failed them entirely. Or do you think, is that too gloomy a scenario? I think it's a bit gloomy. Sometimes, and there are such moments in history where changes uh, happen more rapidly. And this is actually what we have seen with the pandemic. I think that uh, the pandemic, and we are still striving to get out of the pandemic, but uh, it changed uh, for good uh, many of our uh, features of life. And if we talk about quality of life, it will have an impact also. So this is a very challenging time. And uh, I'm very happy that unlike in the previous crisis uh, in 2008, uh, this time, the European Union, the governments, uh, the societies reacted much better, uh, with much more coherence. And uh, uh, if uh, the keyword was austerity in, back in 2008, now the keywords are recovery and resilience. And uh, that makes sense in the policies also. The core challenges that you've raised here, um, it's clear that they don't affect all people in the same way. Um, and we've seen that young people and women, they do tend to bear the brunt of the economic fallout of these kind of uh, crises. You mentioned young people, indeed. They haven't recovered yet as a generation from the previous crisis. The levels of unemployment, the levels of uh, bad living conditions, including access to housing, etc., etc., were already low and uh, very badly impacted from, from the crisis of 2008. And now we have a new uh, a new shock which uh, which appears on them. So uh, certainly young people are extremely vulnerable. And this is uh, what uh, the research of Eurofound shows also. What, what do you think we can do about this? I mean, is the sort of asymmetric impact of this, does it call for asymmetric responses? Oh, yes, indeed. You're absolutely right. I mean, it was a symmetric shock that we have, we've had with the pandemic, uh, but with asymmetric uh, consequences. 
we have seen that the most vulnerable groups in our societies are the most hit. But we also see not only a generational, but also a gender uh, impact and, and differences. Again, in the research of Eurofound, you would see that uh, the stress levels with the, with the pandemic uh, are increasing for the young women. So this is not only the generational, but also, uh, uh, also a gender-related uh, division. So uh, we really need to look not at the average figures. And I think that this time uh, the European societies and the governments have to take the lesson from the previous crisis. You shouldn't look at the average figures. You need to look at those that are the most vulnerable ones. So Avila, would you fear the danger of deepening divides and inequalities that we can see emerging? Do you think we're actually sowing the seeds of social, political discord into the next generation? Oh, yes, certainly. I mean, and this is the, the, the case. And this is not only going to be a political discord. This is going to be a disruption in our societies if we allow it to happen. I mean, there is no wealthy society where you have pockets of uh, poverty or of uh, very vulnerable people. I mean, we need really in such instances to show solidarity because the collective interest here is uh, very much in line with the, with the individual interest. I mean, everybody would live better if we are in a more coherent society. So, uh, indeed, uh, the crisis affects some vulnerable groups more, but uh, the response has to be uh, more attention to them. And uh, not only speaking about the crisis, I think that uh, this has to be an approach applied uh, across the board. For example, with the uh, green transition, again, uh, the interesting references to, to, to recent Eurofound publications, um, very often, I mean, you have a dividend, you have benefits from the green transition, which are for everybody. I mean, the cleaner air is going to mean longer life, healthier life, um, better living conditions. But at the same time, the price to pay for that should be really progressive. I mean, you should uh, not ask the most vulnerable to pay the price for that. And there you're talking about discord, potential discord in society. But I suppose prior to the pandemic, we were already looking also at the labour market being increasingly divided in the type of in the type of employment that was available, non-standard, precarious employment, etc. COVID has clearly compounded this. Are we looking, do you think, at, at an increasingly fractured labour market into the long run? I wouldn't say that the pandemic brought some new phenomena, but it rather catalyzed many processes that we have been seeing before that. For example, teleworking before the uh, pandemic, um, the jobs uh, in teleworking were about uh, 3 to 5% of all jobs. Uh, with the lockdown, they uh, raised to 14, 15, in some countries, uh, more than 20% of the jobs. There is an interest, clear interest of the employers and clear interest of the workers. But the backside of this is that that creates new divisions on the labor market. Because uh, from, a from a necessity, remote working becomes a privilege. What we have witnessed is that uh, when restaurants and hotels started to open, there was no personal. Simply people went uh, somewhere else. So the creation of uh, systemic shortages on the labor market because of the existence of the privilege of remote working uh, is going to to impact in the future also the the the, the type of jobs and the, the structure of the job market that we have. So do you think that the those changes that you're referring to there in terms of increased telework, changes in the way that we work, but also the labor market, 
Do you see that as being moving from temporary to a more permanent structure? Do you think that our children won't even know what it's like to work nine to five? Our research shows that 80% of those who experience teleworking during the lockdown uh, want to have it continuous. Might be in a form of hybrid work, not uh, 100% remote working, but uh, uh, still having the possibility to, to telework. So that's a very high, high percentage. Mm. Once you taste it, you want to, to stay there. At the same time, there are some backdrops of, uh, of teleworking and we need to, to um, and governments also need to address that and, and, and in the social dialogue, the unions and the employers. You have uh, longer working hours, you have uh, more stress uh, working at home, you have, again, a gender uh, division because uh, uh, it happens, yeah. yes, that uh, more women can uh, are employed at jobs that can be uh, done for remotely. Uh, so that creates also a gender, uh, an additional gender divide. Uh, and there are some issues like the right to disconnect, uh, which is also very important. The current conference on the future of Europe looks at trying to engage citizens in, in some way to try and boost their, their trust. But we saw that the pandemic saw trust and optimism dipping. Well, what do you think we can do to build that back up? Trust in governments uh, is decreasing. At the same time, trust in uh, science, trust in uh, uh, experts' opinion, and again, this is in the Eurofound study, trust in uh, uh, people that are specialists without having political motivation in, in something is increasing. So we need to use that. Distrust in governments uh, is very dangerous because it might bring, and this is what we see in some member states, uh, very extremist, uh, very populist uh, political solutions, giving easy answers to everything. Uh, this is not the way to go because no. there are no easy answers in this situation that we are. So uh, again, in this case, I think that the Conference for the Future of Europe is a very good exercise. And we have to put not only governments versus citizens there, but we have to include also into the picture expert centers, uh, universities, uh, uh, really centers that have the expertise and that could give their input into the vision for the future of Europe. And when you refer there to the future of Europe, of course, children are the future of Europe. And we know from our own research that uh, parents across the EU are actually less optimistic about the future of their children than they were uh, about their own. I'm worried about the type of society which is going to happen, about the possibilities to uh, not individual only to, to, to progress and to go further, but uh, what is going to be the way of life, the quality of life, what is going to be the environment, uh, what is going to be the, uh, the, what are going to be the social inequalities in, the, in our communities. This is very important. And uh, again, as parents, we are doing everything to raise our children, but we have to mind also how, the, how Europe, how our societies are going to look in the next 20 or 30 years. And here are my preoccupations. Mm, and I think that's where you referred previously to saying that you don't really like to talk about young people as the future because you see them, in fact, as challenges that are facing them in the present. Oh, yes. Uh, I have been active uh, politically, socially, still as a student, and I'm fed up so many years to hear future is yours, future is to the young people. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm 57 now. I mean, no, I mean, the present has to be to the young people. I mean, you cannot uh, tell them, uh, wait and see, and you are going to have a bright future. Uh, we have to deliver it now. 
they have uh, fortunately longer lives, uh, hopefully, uh, ahead of them. But uh, it is very important not to leave uh, the good news uh, for later, but trying to do something now. Well, on that upbeat note, Ivailo, um, we've looked at the challenges, we've looked at the attempts to address some of them and how we can improve things into the future. But at the end of each of these Eurofound talks, we ask the expert, and in this case, this is you, uh, to talk to me in three. Uh, give me the three key issues that you would raise that could help shape better living and working in Europe into the future. Mm. That's a good question. I think first is inclusiveness. Whenever decisions are made, uh, uh, that has to be done with the largest possible participation. Citizens have to participate, stakeholders have to participate, social partners have to participate if you want to have a good uh, sound uh, solution. Second is uh, coherence in the societies. I mean, the more inequalities, the more disruptions we have in the society, the worse the quality of life is going to be for everybody, not only for the vulnerable groups, but also for the for, 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 for the others. So uh, keeping the co coherence uh, uh, in the society is, is very important. And maybe the third thing is to dare action, acting. I mean, not to postpone actions, uh, but to take them now. There is never a good moment for an action. I mean, it has to be, especially in the environment, in, uh, with the pandemic, we have to act now. Okay, thank you, Ivailo. Inclusiveness, coherence and action. That's fairly succinct. So thank you very much for your interesting take uh, on what we are, where we're going. And thank you also to our listeners. Uh, feel free, of course, to comment, question, query, anything you've heard today online at hashtag Eurofantalks. You can also listen back to our podcast on sustainable work. And next up, in advance of the European Year of Youth, which is in 2022, we will be looking at the specific issues which are facing young people today. Please do look at uh, our website where you can find all our current and upcoming research findings and analysis on the issues we discussed today about living and working in Europe. And of course, all the rest of our work, which is on our website. You can also follow us on our social media channels. So until next time, when you're a fan talks, to you. Good jobs, quality jobs. We still have so much to do for women's rights. For the parents to go to work, you need good childcare. We will not have a successful recovery if we leave social rights. Reinventing our way of building and living. It is our right.